Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Thank you so much for being a part of our uh, growing uh, online community. So stay engaged. We appreciate you guys, and we appreciate all of you wonderful people joining us here today. Uh, I am Pastor Chris. So do me a favor this morning. Raise your hand um, if you like a good uh, crime drama television show. We got any, you know, oh, okay, yeah, quite a few. Um, In fact, if you are watching online this morning, go ahead and leave a comment maybe with like your your favorite crime drama drama television show that you've binged watched. And uh, maybe uh, shows like uh, The Wire, True Detective, uh, Ozark, Criminal Minds, Fargo, uh, Mayor of Easttown, Broadchurch. Those are just some uh, crime TV shows. Uh, I've always liked a good crime drama. I mean, even for, even as a kid. In fact, I can remember watching um, old black and white reruns of Perry Mason. Anybody remember? Some of you remember when those came out, right? I know you do. But, but for me, uh, the classic crime drama show will always be Law and Order. Law and Order. Um, can anybody say the opening line with me? In the criminal justice system, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups. The police who investigate the crime and the district attorney who what? Prosecute the offenders. These are their stories. Doom, doom, right? You know, I mean, like, that's my show, or where it kind of was my show. And really, I think the reason is, is it premiered, first premiered, get this, in 1990. And uh, that was the year Jan and I started the church, uh, 1990. And it kind of became, you know, one of our shows that we would watch. Uh, this past May, the show was renewed. You ready for this? For its 22nd season. It went off the air for a little bit, and then it came back. But it has spun off six other shows. Law and Order Special Victims Unit, or SVU. Uh, Law and Order Criminal Intent. Law and Order Trial by Jury. Law and Order Los Angeles. Law and Order True Crime. Law and Order organized crime. Now, its first spinoff, Law & Order SVU, get this, became TV's longest-running primetime live-action series in the history of television. Somebody once said that the Law & Order franchise is like the Marvel universe of television shows, okay? It's always on, you know, there's always another one, and you can find reruns of it somewhere. But again, In every Law and Order episode, this is where I'm going with this, if you're wondering, um, there is the crime, and then there is the case, right? There's the crime, and then the case. And that, that is exactly what we have seen so far uh, in the first three chapters of the book of Romans. The study that we're in, uh, a revolution of faith, making our way through the book of Romans. Now, in chapter 1, if you remember, beginning in verse 18, Paul explained the crime. The crime. And the crime is that all of mankind, including you and me, have sinned against a holy God. And then he begins to lay out the case, you know, that that we are all guilty and that we're all accountable to God for our sin. And then in the remainder of chapter one, he focused on the unbeliever, right? Remember, who is without excuse because we have been able to, we've all been able to see God's witness in creation and also sense God's witness in our own conscience. And that's what we talked about in chapter one. And then in chapter two, and actually beginning today in the, in the first part of chapter three, he turns his case 
to the religious Jews who would have already agreed with him that you know God is going to judge all the pagan Gentiles for their sin, but they had absolutely no idea that they were under the same judgment themselves. And that's what we talked about last week, right? How religion, uh, rituals, rules, your heritage, religious heritage, they can all kind of create this false sense of security that really keeps you from seeing your need for the gospel of Jesus too, just as much as anybody else. And the reason Paul begins the letter of Romans this way You know, the reason he's kind of building his case this way is because the very first element of the gospel is confronting mankind with the reality of our sin, the reality of of our crime against God, if you will. You know, the word gospel means good news, but the good news that Jesus offers is only good news to those who understand that they are sinful in need of a savior, and, they, and that they stand condemned before a holy God. You know, as, as we said earlier in the series, you're never really going to understand just how good you have it in Christ until you understand how bad you had it apart from Christ in your sin. <coughs> now we come to chapter three. <coughs> and chapter three really takes on the feel of a courtroom, okay, where all of mankind, it's as though we're, we're standing before God as the divine judge, and we're on trial for our sin. And the Apostle Paul writes this letter, and he's kind of like the, the district attorney, you know, laying out all the evidence. So first of all, number one, we're going to look at our arraignment, our arraignment. Now, in the first part of chapter 3, Paul's opening statement, okay, he, he, he begins by trying to anticipate and answer all the objections that the Jews in Rome would have to the gospel. You see, Paul never taught that, you know, the Jewish heritage in and of itself was bad or wrong. He never taught that the Mosaic ceremonial laws were unimportant. You know, again, he was a Jew himself. After all, they they were God-given. They had tremendous importance. But, and this is key, he did teach that they were not and never had been the means of satisfying God's standard of righteousness. Okay? They offered the Jewish people some great spiritual advantages. But they did not provide real spiritual security. That only comes through trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Let's look at verse one. This is what he says. Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? In other words, and again, you know, he'd just been talking about religion and that really it has no value (coughs) as far as our salvation is concerned. And he's basically saying, you know, if if, and he's trying to answer this question on behalf of the, his Jewish listeners. And, he's, and they're thinking, you know, okay, if being born a Jew and going through all these rites and rituals and ceremony, you know, if they don't guarantee a person, you know, going into heaven, then what's the advantage of being God's chosen people in the first place? Or we today might ask the question this way. 
you know, if, if religion is not what saves you, then what's the advantage of, you know, being raised in the church? You know, if going to church and, and being religious is not the answer, then why do it at all? Okay, look, listen to Paul's answer, verse two. Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. Paul's saying, listen guys, you Jews do have an edge. You know, you received the scriptures. You know, you've already been taught that a Messiah is coming. You've already been taught all these principles about the atonement and forgiveness. You do have an advantage. And I think he would say this to those of you who've been raised in the church. I think he would say, yes, there are great, great benefits. You know, you've been taught the Bible from an early age. You know the stories. You've heard about sin and salvation. But... With all of that advantage comes great, great responsibility and greater accountability. In fact, drop down to verse 9. He says, well then, shall we conclude that Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown, listen to this, that all people, whether Jews or Gentile, are under the power of sin. And so Paul is saying, okay, Advantages, sure, you have them. But there really is no difference as far as sin is concerned. There's no difference as far as the need for a savior is concerned. In other words, what he's trying to get them to see, and what I think he's trying to tell us today, is that the entire human race, without no exceptions, absolutely none, Jew, Gentile, religious, irreligious, We are all standing before a holy God in his court of justice. We're all being arraigned. In fact, the word translated under here, where he says that all people are under the power of sin, it was actually a common Greek term that meant more than just being beneath something. It meant being totally under the power, authority, and control of something or someone else. And so what Paul is saying here is that, listen, apart from Jesus, apart from what he accomplished for you through his death, burial, and resurrection, every human being is completely in bondage to sin. We've all been affected, contaminated, and polluted by sin. I ran across a rather... um, I don't know, disturbing statistic the other day um, about rats. Rats, yeah. So get this, if two, mats, two rats mate regularly, over a period of just three years, they are capable of reproducing 359 million rats. I know. You need to check your garage, don't you? Yeah. That's why people are moving from New York down here to Charleston. Yeah. Um, Now, what makes that especially disturbing is the fact that rats are known to carry what? All kinds of germs and disease and sickness and even death. So just think about what Mr. and Mrs. Rat can do to this earth through the reproduction of baby rats. Now, let's tweak that illustration a little bit. And let's think about Adam and Eve after the fall, after sin entered the world. They produced offspring 
Their offspring produced offspring. Their offspring produced offspring. And each time a reproduction occurred, the earth was being polluted and contaminated with mankind in his spiritually diseased, depraved nature all the way up to today. That's the point that Paul is making here in Romans, that we're all under the power of sin, and therefore we're all being arraigned before God. And we're all going to be brought before his justice, which leads to number two, our indictment. Our indictment. In Romans 3, 10 through 18, Paul presents this uh, chilling 14-count indictment against all of mankind. And uh, these 14 charges can be broken down into three categories. You see them there on your outline. Our character, our conversation, and our conduct. Now, in verses 10 through 12, Paul lists the first six of these charges. Listen to this. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Welcome to Coastal. You know, real, real encouraging, right? I know. Now, let's, let's break down these charges just a little bit. Look at verse 10. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not, not even one. Now, I think the religious Jew in Paul's day would have responded, yeah, that's right. Nobody outside of us, nobody outside of our religion, our heritage is righteous. But then Paul says, no, 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 no. Not one, not even one. And the word righteous there is being used of the righteousness of God himself. Completely pure, absolutely holy, and perfect in every way. Now, from our perspective though, and you know, in our interactions with, with people on a daily basis, there are these you know, vast moral and spiritual differences between people, right? I mean, we just, you know, I mean, in other words, when, when it comes to things like, you know, kindness and love and generosity and honesty and purity and a whole list of other characteristics, we, we think, in, in the way we size up people, right, that there are people who do better than or worse than other people. Again, from our perspective. And then you probably all heard somebody say something like this. You might have even said something like this. Well, you know, if my grandmother doesn't make it to heaven, nobody will, because if there was ever somebody who was good and righteous, she was it. But the issue is not, are you a good person? The issue is, you ready? Are you as good as God? Like, that's the standard, and he doesn't grade on a curve. It's pass-fail. You either are or you aren't. You are either as good as God or you're not. Now, what makes the gospel, you know, the thing that we keep hammering home week after week here, what makes the gospel such good news is the truth that our loving God provided a way for us to become perfect, divinely perfect, and righteous. But that perfection comes entirely through God's grace in response to our faith in his one and only son, Jesus. And his point is that you are either in a place of total righteousness in Christ through your faith in him, or you're in a place of total sinfulness Apart from Christ, <clears throat> there is no in-between. Now, 
In verse 11, he says, no one is truly wise. Another translation says, no one, there's no one who understands. And then he adds, no one is seeking God. In other words, he's saying that because of our sin, we're spiritually blind and we're rebellious. And it sounds very much like Ephesians 4, 18. Listen to this. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. And then verse 12 says that all have turned away. In the, uh, in the original Greek language, the word there means to defect or to deviate. And the Greeks used the word to describe soldiers who had deserted their ranks. They'd gone AWOL. And so Paul here is using it to describe all of our inclination to deviate from God's way and to go our own way. In Isaiah 53, 6, it says, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. That's what he's saying. So in other words, again, you're looking at this, this, these charges. The person who is universally evil, spiritually blind, and inherently rebellious against God will inevitably turn away from God and go their own way, their own path. And he's saying that's what we've done. All of us, collectively and individually. And the result of that is the end of verse 12. All have become useless. And the word translated there, useless, useless was to describe, uh, used to describe rotten milk or spoiled food or clothes that were rotting. And, and in the context of fallen humanity, Paul here is using it to say that the core of our character, it's gone bad. And so according to these first six charges, we are evil, blind, rebellious, wayward, worthless, and depraved. That's our character apart from Christ. Now, in verses 13 through 14, Paul turns his indictment now to our words, our conversation. Because a person's character will eventually come out in the words that they use, their conversations. He says, their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are full with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Wow. Foul mouth, lies, poisonous tongue, cursing, and bitterness. I don't know about you, but to me, that perfectly describes Washington, D.C. I mean, it really does. Or Twitter, you know, if you've been on Twitter lately. Um... But that's the world. That's anyone apart from Jesus. And then the Greek word translated talk there in verse 13, their talk is foul, is the word from which we get our English word for larynx. Their tongues are filled with lies. And the word lies there means to, uh, to lure somebody in. And it was used of baiting a hook so as to disguise you know, the real danger. It means to con somebody. Paul is saying that our character is being revealed through our words, our conversation. It's exactly what Jesus was getting at in Matthew 12, 34, where he said, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, a spiritually dead heart generates spiritually dead words. And then in verses 15 through 18, Paul turns to our conduct. And so again, follow the progression. He's saying our fallen character is evidenced not only by our conversation, the word that we speak, the words that we speak, but it's also being evidenced by our behavior. And he says this, they rush to commit murder. 
Man, the evidence of that today is all around us. Murder, violence, all on the rise. Destruction and misery always follow them. The word construction there in Greek is a compound word, and it means to break into pieces, completely shattering, uh, devastation. It describes what happens to a people and a society when they keep moving further and further away from God. They don't know where to find peace. And he's not just talking there about inner peace. He's talking about humanity's inclination to move away from peace and to move toward war and violence and division. And then all of that leads to the root cause of all of this. Verse 18, they have no fear of God at all. That's actually a quote from Psalm 36.1 that says, sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. Now all of this, it all goes back to Romans 18 where Paul began this whole section talking about those who suppress the truth about God in their life. In other words, it's knowing the truth but suppressing it. It's knowing the right way that you ought to go but choosing to go your own way because there's no fear of God. And we're seeing all of this today. And so, we have the arraignment, you know, the indictment, and now he finishes this section with our, the verdict. Our verdict, verses 19 and 20. Obviously, the law applies to, tho- to those to whom it was given. For its purpose, listen to its purpose, the purpose of the law is to keep people from having excuses And to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. That's the purpose. The purpose of the Old Testament. The purpose of the commandments. Now, again, what's our verdict here? The verdict against the whole world. We're all guilty of sinning against a holy God. That's it, that's the verdict. We're all guilty and we're all going to be accountable to God for our sin. And back in chapter two, Paul explained that every person, doesn't matter who you are, Jew, Gentile, moralist, pagan, lives under the law. If he doesn't have the law written on scrolls, everyone, remember, we all have the law written on our heart. Nobody's without excuse. And this moral law which gives us, which God makes known to every person, it does two things. It silences everybody's excuses, and it clearly reveals our sin. It silences our excuses, and it reveals our sin. Think about it like this. The law of God, okay, the laws of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, they're kind of like a mirror, okay, a mirror. You know, a mirror reveals that your face is dirty, you know, that you need some makeup, that you need a shower. But a mirror makes a very poor washcloth, doesn't it? You know, a mirror can, can drive you to the washcloth, can drive you to the water and the soap, but a mirror can't make you wash. You know, think about it like an x-ray or an MRI. Raise your hand. Anybody had an x-ray recently, MRI? Anybody? Okay, yeah. So, you know, you go to the doctor, and they know something's wrong, Right? But they can't quite be sure, they can't quite confirm it, so what do they do? They order an x-ray, they order an MRI. 
So, you know, you lie on one of those tables and, you know, it slides into the, you know, to the machine. And if you're kind of freaked out, you know, by that claustrophobia, they give you some, you know, music or something to do. And, um, but they slide you in and then it takes pictures of, you know, either that particular part of your body, your whole body. Now, the x-ray, the MRI, what are they doing? They're only revealing the problem, but they're powerless to do anything to fix the problem. So the laws of God, the Ten Commandments of God, they're kind of like an x-ray, an MRI, a mirror. They, they show us how spiritually broken we are, but they're powerless to fix it. Now, you can scramble around and just force yourself to try to do good things, to act better, you know, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just be a good person, but at the end of the day, it's not going to change your heart. If anything, it's just covering up the root problem. That's it. Let me ask, have you ever, maybe it's your house, have you ever been rummaging around in your refrigerator looking for something to eat? And you're scrounging around, you know, and in the back corner you see a Gladware container, right? Ooh, what is this, you know? And you, you pull out the Gladware container, and you're kind of looking at it, shaking it around a little bit, and it's obviously some sort of mystery meat, okay? You're not really sure. It's been in there so long, right? You're not sure where, what it is and where it came from. Now, typically, if you're a man, what do you do next with that container, you open it up, right, and you do what? You smell it, right, exactly, of course. Now, after you pick yourself up off the floor, you'll say something like, you know, I know this mystery meat stinks and it is rotting and there's some sort of green fuzz growing on it, but maybe it just needs a little barbecue sauce, right? You know, a little barbecue sauce would make it, you know, take care of the smell, might take care of the taste. Now, honestly, hopefully none of you would actually do that, right? But that is exactly what trying to clean yourself up by just keeping the law is like. It just sweetens your behavior a little bit, covers up the smell, but it never gets to the root problem. And that's your heart. Again, that was the purpose of the law, to reveal that you're in need of a Savior. You see, this is what I want you to get today. This is what Paul was driving at for these three chapters so far. Sin is not so much of an action as it is a condition. And we typically think of our sin only as being, you know, the bad things that we do. Like the bad actions that we do, lying, stealing, cheating, cursing, sex before marriage, gossip, a whole long laundry list of things. But the truth is much more dark than that. It's much more devastating than that. The truth is we commit sin because of the hearts that we possess. It's, it's kind of like being sick. You're not sick because you show symptoms. You're showing symptoms because you're what? You're sick. You know, you, you don't have the flu simply because you cough and sneeze and run a fever. You cough and sneeze and run a fever because you have the flu. Don't you see? 
we, we are not sinners simply because we sin. And then we can clean up the problem by trying to force ourselves not to sin. No. We sin because at our core we are sinful. We're sinners. What we say with our mouth and do with our hands is simply a symptom of the complete and total rottenness of our hearts. Don't you see? That's been the purpose of these first three chapters, so that you would get to the point, so that all of us would get to the point where we would realize that nothing, nothing can save us except for a miraculous work of God's grace through faith in his son Jesus. That is it. And so our sentence, right? That's where all this is heading, our sentence. That's right. Before a holy God is death. That's the bad news. It's death. Physical, spiritual death, separation from God for all eternity. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. That's our sentence. That's the price we we have to pay. But God, but God, in his great love for you. In fact, that's the start of the very next verse in Romans 3. And we're going to talk about it next week. Verse 21 says, but now God. That's, That's where we've been heading. That's what we're going to get to. But, but back to Romans 6.23 for a second. For the wages of sin is death. But, here's the good news, the great news. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't you see? That's the gospel. I mean, it's as though we're all in the courtroom. We're standing before God. We're being arraigned. You know, the indictment has come down. He's giving us the sentence. And then Jesus bursts through the doors of the courtroom and he says, Father, judge, God, wait, wait. I'll pay the price. I'll do it. I'll suffer the consequences. I'll go to the cross. I will live a perfect life. I will satisfy your righteous judgment. I will pay the price for their sin. I will take it all on me. I will take all their sin on my shoulders and I will give them all of my righteousness, all of my perfection, if, if they're willing to put their faith and their trust in me and me alone. That's it. Romans 5, 8 says, but God, you know, one of these, one of these days, we're going to do a, a sermon series on the butts of the Bible, you know? I like big, no, anyway, we're going we're to do it. Because I'm telling you, man, there's some, there's some awesome, awesome things that, you know, we think it's this way and it's bad. And, we're, you know, man, Pastor Chris is coming down on, you know, on judgment and sin. But God, but now God. 
Listen, he provides a way out. Yes, he is righteous. Yes, he is holy. But he is a loving heavenly father. Romans 5.8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's the gospel. That's what God did for you. And nothing, religion, trying to be a, a good person. Listen, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do but you've got to accept it. You've got to accept it. Because it's, it's as though we are, we're standing before a holy God right here and right now. But one day it will be too late. One day he will either come, come again or he will call you home. And it will be too late. You've got to admit your sin, your guilt before a holy God and your need for a savior now. You've got to give up any hope of making it on your own. And you put your faith and your trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. And if you will do that now, listen to this. This is so good. God, the holy God, the righteous judge, he will look at you and you know what he will say? Perfect, perfect, paid in full, the righteousness of Christ before me. But the choice is yours. The choice is yours. I'm not gonna force you. He won't make you do that. You can still stand before him stiff-necked thinking that there's some other way or you don't know enough or you know it's all gonna just work out fine in the end. You can do that. I pray you won't. A way has been provided and you could come home to a God who loves you and was willing to do that for you right here and right now. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, today we are reminded that you are a holy, righteous judge and that apart from Christ, we stand before you condemned, condemned to die physically and spiritually. But God, but God in your great love, and your desire to have a relationship with every one of us and and your desire to, to do life with us here and forever, you were willing to go on a grand rescue mission and send your son Jesus that he might satisfy your righteousness and your perfection by living that holy and perfect life and being the, the payment for our sin. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. And listen, if you're here today, if you're here in person, if you're watching this online, what are you waiting on? You know it in your heart. You know on those, those days, those nights when it's just you alone, your thoughts at night, on, in, in the car. You know you've messed up. You know you stand condemned before a holy God. Listen, he is drawing you to himself. You have heard the stories. You have heard the gospel proclaimed. You have seen his witness in creation and in your own conscience. What are you waiting on? Respond today, respond now. Just bow the knee, 
before, before God humbly and say, God, I admit it, I know it, I am a sinner, I am in need of a Savior, and I believe today that one has been provided. It is Jesus. I believe in him. I put my faith and my trust in him and him alone. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. My sin put him there. He rose from the dead, and he is alive, and I believe it. I put my trust in him and him alone, and God, now, for the rest of my life, until you you come again or call me home. Father, Father, I just want to follow Jesus. I now want to become more and more like you see me now every day, perfect and righteous in your sight, not because of me and what I've done, but because of, because of Jesus and my faith in him. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.